but I do believe it's a timely message for our church. And so just please give diligence, you know, to, to pay attention and to listen prayerfully at, at, at the Word of God and what He would lead us into this morning. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, before we read a scripture there, just turn and hold it there. This is not a study on Galatians this morning, but I think most of us are, are very familiar of the, the purpose of this epistle and uh, the things that were going on in this church in this day. This is a church where Paul had brought them the Gospel like many places. He was the first evangelist, the first one to bring the Gospel. That must have been an amazing thing to be the one to bring the Gospel to a part of the world that had never ever heard before. And Paul had that privilege and that calling. He suffered many things uh, in his call for the Lord as well. But he brought the Gospel there and and preached to this church, and they were not a Jewish people, this was Gentile people, and they got saved by the same Gospel that we've been saved with. The gospel of grace, the Gospel of God, the Gospel of salvation, the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that, that Paul preached. And as sometime after he left, I don't know the exact time frame, but after he left, and of course he still had a heart for all these churches and these places where he went, uh, the church was established there, a new body of believers with a pastor there. And the Galatian, the uh, Judaizers came in. We know the story of the Judaizers. The Judaizers preached a salvation by, um, by the works of the law, that a man would be justified by the works of the law. They weren't preaching against so much Jesus Christ. They were, but not probably verbally, they were preaching a blend or a mixture of salvation by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you still had to keep the law. And he's bringing this to people that had already been saved. They were born again. Holy Ghost lived inside of them. They're believers. I always think about this. The church in Galatia should not have received this message. I blame them. You know, the Lord would hold them accountable. Let's put it that way. And the Lord would hold the Judaizers, the false teachers account. That's what they were. They were false teachers. That was not the Gospel. That was not a, a right teaching. Well, they were bewitched is the, the term that Paul used. And it's just a deception. They bought into it. Maybe the teachers that came in, the Judaizers were very convincing and, and maybe had credentials and maybe had personality or authority or some type of, some type of thing that, that caused the people, again they should have had the discernment to stand against that. God did not hold them blameless for that. And He did not hold the false teachers blameless either, but they bought into it. Paul hears about it. He writes this wonderful epistle. It has so many wonderful things contrasting uh, uh, the, the, law of, the life of faith as opposed to the life of the flesh and works and so forth. And it t tells what the law was good for and what it was not intended for. It's a wonderful epistle. We'll, we'll probably study it sometime, maybe on Wednesday nights, and go through that. But this, the lesson today is not about that. It's just setting the stage. So Paul is greatly concerned, greatly concerned for his, what you would say, children in the faith. Because now they've bought into this false doctrine and it's serious. It's very serious. It's not a little thing like, oh well, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. He took it very seriously because God takes it very seriously. And he wrote this epistle to them, and he says that um, you know that you've you that you've almost that you've fallen from grace. That I'm I'm travailing with you until Christ be formed in you again. It was that significant and serious that they had stepped away from the purity of the gospel and the truth as it is in Christ Jesus unto another gospel. And, the, and he says earlier in this epistle, though I or an angel from heaven you know, preach any, come to you and preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. And then he repeats it for emphasis. And I say again, if I or an angel from heaven comes and preaches any other gospel than the one you've received, let him be accursed. And then, so that's the stage of what's going on. This is a serious letter. Like in Philippians, there's no rebuke. He's just like rejoice. He uses the word rejoice like 14 times in four chapters. And it's a wonderful, encouraging epistle. 
it's encouraging too, but it was a they were being provoked and because they were in a bad spot spiritually. And that was needed. That's what was needed here. So let's look at one verse. We're going to base this message this morning after off of one scripture. So in the middle of this epistle, he's writing to his people that he brought to the Lord. God allowed him to bring to the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? It's a question. I want you to just think on that for a second. It's a short little verse. Think about the love of God in Paul to go there in the first place, to be sent by the Lord, to bring them the gospel, and then to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to where he's an overseer. They were local pastors. There was one in this church. But his heart was for all of these people. And he carried the, the weight and the care of the churches upon himself. When he talks about all the sufferings that he went through and the stripes that he bore and being shipwrecked in a night and a day out in the open sea and the different things stoned and left for dead, and perils among his brethren and all those things, he, he says not to mention the cares of the churches that he carried upon him. He didn't cease praying for them day and night. It was like his own child was in some dangerous way. Or he cared for them. And, and here some wolves had come in in sheep's clothing and brought the brim of false doctrine. They could have said, nope, we don't want to get out of our church. They didn't. They received it. Paul still loves them. The Lord still loves them. And he says, am I now become, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And I want to say this this morning. This is the heart of this message. Oh, that we would love men enough to tell them the truth that we would love men enough to tell them the truth. Not any version of truth, but the truth. The truth as is in Christ Jesus. I can promise you that Paul loved with that way, loved enough to tell men the truth. You don't have to turn there, but if you're taking those 2 Corinthians 2.4, he's speaking to that church. You had to bring a stern rebuke to the Corinthian church as well. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Much affliction, anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. I want you to know that even though when he was rebuking them, both churches, Corinth and here, that his great love. This is coming out of many tears. This is coming out of great love. Our heart as Christians, born of the Spirit of God, must break and we must pray and weep for men. I would say first for lost souls. We pray for lost souls, right? We pray for all of us in here. We have people that we're praying for to come to know the Lord. And so Paul's heart was for the lost. And he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And he says another time that I could wish myself accursed that, that for my kinsmen in the flesh, the Jewish people to be saved. So certainly he had a heart for the lost. But what we're talking about this morning is that our heart must break and we must love and weep for and pray for our, Christ, our Christian brothers and sisters that have gone astray. This is what we're talking about today. Certainly a heart for the lost, but we're focusing today on this. Christians, true saved people, as far as we know, true Christians that have gone astray. They've wandered away from the Good Shepherd. Can it happen? Yes. Does it happen? Yes. Absolutely. Okay? They've wandered away from the Good Shepherd. They've erred from the truth in some way. And all of it's serious. We think it's a little way or a big way. If they've erred from the truth, they've erred from the truth. They've erred from biblical Christianity. And true love, the, the love of God, is going to, going to desire their restoration. True love, the love of God, is going to desire their restoration, that they be brought back to Christ, brought back into the fold of the Good Shepherd. All for His glory. Amen. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But the true love of God, this sounds redundant, but it also will be in truth. 
the true love of God will be in truth. The believer, and I'm going to say this is going to be us, okay? The believer that's going after a, a brother that's erred, that's wayward, that's wandered from the truth. That we're going to speak the truth in love. The true love of God is going to be in truth. It's not going to be man's love wrapped up in Christian terminology. It's not going to be man's love, which is just man's love. That's all it is. It's an affection. It's a kindness. But this is God's love. This is what Paul had for the churches. His heart was breaking for them as though it was him himself. As though it was his literal children. How did he have that? Because God placed that burden in his own heart upon his man. He can do that for any of us and all of us. Amen? But the true, true love is going to go and it's going to be the truth. It's going to be not my, oh, I love you so much. I just love you so much. I love you so much. It's going to go to them with the Word of God. It's going, we're going to speak the truth, the Bible says, in love. And so, um, it's going to be God's own heart going after that wayward brother or sister in the Lord. God's heart going after them. You think God's concerned about it. Absolutely. You think the Lord was concerned with His, his children that He saved, that He purchased with His own blood in Galatia because they followed His false doctrine of the Judaizers. He loved them and He sent Paul to them. Could have sent somebody else. That's who He chose. But it was God's love through the man that went to them. God's own heart going after the wayward brother through us. Maybe they've erred in their doctrine, which is serious. Doctrine is not some fancy, just... Uh, Theological word that you talk about in seminaries. Doctrine is simply what we believe. What we believe. So if somebody errs from what they believe, they're no longer believing what they used to believe. They've either added some false belief or they've taken away from something they used to believe that they don't, they don't believe any longer. Or what they have believed has been twisted and perverted. That's what perversion means. It's just a twisting. Something true and good, you twist it. And it's not true and good anymore. Of a brother or sister in the Lord can do that. These Galatian believers began to believe. I bet they I bet they didn't have any real peace in their hearts as they're hearing those teachers. There probably was this fear, something that was uneasy, because God gives discernment and they're listening to it and they're they're like, "Come, Paul told us we're just saved by grace through faith," and and they're listening and they're intimidated. They start to believe it. They start to believe it. Okay. And so they've, they've, they've erred in their doctrine. Maybe a Christian brother or sister has erred in their practice, in their actual morals and their behavior, in their practice, okay? Maybe they've become estranged from the body of Christ and they're flying solo out there in, in some kind of error. Maybe they've embraced some unsound teaching. Maybe they failed to pray and study the Bible the way they should. Maybe they fail to exercise Holy Ghost discernment, which God has given for protection for all of us. Every believer, the least believer, the newest little saint that just got saved has a measure of discernment from the Lord to protect them. Everybody has that. I know there are the special gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, but there's, every believer has the Word of God, which is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Every believer has the Holy Ghost living inside of them, even if they had not been baptized in the Holy Ghost yet. And there is a dis- measure of discernment that God gives for the protection of that new saint. Okay, Maybe these, they failed to exercise it. Certainly these believers in Galatia did. It's not that they were lost. It's that they were saved and then started drifting. And in this case, it was because of false teaching. I would say this this morning to us and to the church and as a whole. Someone in the body of Christ must love God enough to go to them. Somebody in the body of Christ must love the erring brother enough to go after them. To go with a genuine desire to bring them back to Christ. Amen? Not, with, not for our own glory, but for God's. Not to build our own Christian empire and say, look, I got them back. It's all about me. My church was shrinking and now I've got them back into my church. But for Christ's sake, it's not a notch in our spiritual gun belt. Got another one. It's for the glory of God. And we have to have God's heart in it. Someone must be mature enough in Jesus. 
someone must be spiritual enough and biblical enough and bold enough in the Holy Ghost to be used by the Lord in this way. Would you agree? That is a must in every era of the church, every generation, and certainly in our era. I'm going to say it again. Somebody must be must love enough. We must be uh, spiritual enough in Christ, biblical enough, bold enough in the Holy Ghost to be used by the Lord in this way. There's no reason that can't be every one of us. That's not for some hierarchy of people to go after the wayward brother. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles and look. We've got two main Scriptures we're going to look at, but look at Galatians 6, verse 1. We all know this Scripture. We're just going to read that one verse. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, so he's speaking to Christian brothers, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The last part is just a stern warning to be careful that when you go to the erring brother, that you be prayed up and considering the, the gravity of the situation, the seriousness of the situation, and i got to be on guard myself lest I could be overcome with the same thing that swept them away. If it's If it's pornography, if it's adultery, if it's lying, if it's some witchcraft, some false doctrine, something they bought into, I need to be prayed up. Now I'm going as a representative of Christ. I'm, I'm going as His ambassador. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm a man on a mission. I'm going in love. And I'm considering myself way ahead of time as I'm driving up to their house or whatever it is. I'm being very careful because this is a spiritual thing that's going on here. It's not just physical. They've erred from the truth. They've erred in the false doctrine. They've erred in their morals and practice from what they would have never done before and now they're doing this. And so it's spiritual and I've got to consider myself lest I be tempt, also be tempted. So that's just a warning. He's not saying don't go. He's saying consider that as you're going. But I'm going to, I'm going to define a few terms here because that Scripture is loaded with them. Uh, it says if a, if a brother, if a man be overtaken in a fault, okay, a fault is like a sin. They've sinned in some way. It literally means falling aside when one should have stood upright. Falling aside when they should have stood upright. So a brother's overtaken in a fault. They should have stood upright. These Galatian believers should have said, no, you Judaizers, that's false. We've checked it out with the Word of God. And this is not the truth as it's in Christ. We reject you and what you're saying. This is not true. Okay? They should have stood upright. They fall aside. They fell aside. It means a moral fall or a fall from grace and truth. So if brother, if a man be overtaken in a fault, that's what this means. Okay? Spiritual. You that are spiritual. It simply means non-carnal. Look it up. Non-carnal. I'm not just living in my flesh. Even as a believer, I'm not just living in my flesh. It means non-carnal. I'm spiritual or religious. And then it says, restore such a one. Restore means to bring back to His place in Christ. To bring back to His place in Christ. Not just into the church doors. Not just so we got our pews filled again. Bring them back to their place in Christ. Because that's the significance of this. We're not talking about lost people. We're talking a brother that's straight and another brother going after them. You that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Meekness. That we would love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ enough, and listen, this is the key to it to me, is to risk. To risk their rejection. To risk their rejection of us in order to tell them the truth. Have you experienced it? Do you know that that's a reality? That there is a risk? It's, it's obedience to Christ. There's no risk in obeying the Lord. I'm saying among relationships and people, reputations, things like this, that we would love them enough to, to, to risk losing their friendship, to risk them uh, wanting nothing to do with us, and cutting, this, cutting us off from their lives and so forth, for their rejection, complete and utter rejection. I think the greatest venom I've ever seen has been among... Believers, lost world hates us already. That's one thing you know. Jesus said they're gonna hate. They hated me. They're gonna hate you. 
and they put Jesus on the cross. It's almost like you expect that. It goes with the territory of being a believer. The most unnatural hatred is when you try to go to someone in Christ and there's that rejection that comes because you tell them the truth. Paul said, am I become your enemy? Am I therefore become your enemy because I told you the truth? This really is an amazing thing. I want to read this Scripture. You just stay where, where you are. Paul says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. And so, he, he knew about that rejection. The more I love you, the more I'm praying over you and weeping over you and doing all that I'm doing and burdened for you and sleepless nights staying up interceding on your behalf. The more I love you, the less I be loved. That can happen sometimes. It shouldn't be that way. In reality, it is that way. It didn't stop Paul from loving them because it's the love of God. If it wasn't Paul, it would have been somebody else God would have had for him. And it's, not all, it's not all about Paul. It's about Jesus, okay? But sometimes in these situations, I wanted to make it very personal in the sense that you picture yourself and somebody you know that's a Christian, is a true Christian that's erred from the truth. They're wayward from the Lord in some way. Practice or doctrine. Sometimes in these situations, I wonder if we truly believe the seriousness of the situation. In other words, the danger that my brother or sister is really in. Or do we just kind of, well, it's not the way I would like it. It's not the best, but, you know, whatever. At least they still love Jesus and we try to just kind of sweep it under the rug. Paul never did that. And the Lord never did that. I don't think sometimes we grasp the seriousness of a, a spiritual illness, so to speak, or spiritual waywardness where it can lead to. Paul was travailing with these believers until Christ be formed in them again. Whatever that even technically means, that Christ would begin to, to govern their lives, reign in their lives, um, begin to shape and mold their lives to, you know, to the image of Christ. He was travailing until that started taking place again. And that couldn't take place again until they came back to the truth as it is in Christ. And the simplicity of the Gospel and forsook the faults that they had embraced. That had to be done. And he realized the seriousness of it. And yes, there's forgiveness for the believer that's wayward. Absolutely. There's restoration in the blood of Jesus. All that. Praise God. But it's going to come as they repent. There has to be a turning back to the Lord. Otherwise, you're away from the Lord. That's what wayward means, right? So I'm away from the Lord. I'm going to pretend like everything's okay and keep walking out in this, this away from the Lord, straying. And, and do we see it who are thinking level-headed, so to speak? We're not embracing a false doctrine or whatever. Do we see the danger that they're in clear enough? They sure not seeing it. They're not saying, oh, I'm out here and I'm in danger. I'm in horrible danger. Praise God if they would. You know what I mean? Because they would repent and come out. Maybe you'd be the one to help lead them out. But for the most part, they're not going to see that they're in danger. Because the deception is just that. It's a deception. They're deceived into thinking, this is right. This is of God. This is revival. This is holy. This is the Holy Ghost. This is a move of God. This is a wonderful man of God. This is a wonderful teacher. And they're believing it. And so, we need to see the seriousness of it for them. And we need to pray. I know Maria opened, I think it was prayer Sunday night. I think that's what it was. And you were talking about how Elisha's servants, he prayed, Lord, open my servant's eyes that he can see. And there is so much reality to that and truth to that. You can grab them, slap them around, get some sense into you. You know, you can do all this kind of stuff. I had a brother that's lost. I could do that to him. He'd still be lost. You understand what I mean? We have to speak the truth, but we need God to open their eyes. And so, we need, it has to be a spiritual awakening to where they, they really see. So, here's what we have to see the, the danger of it. And we need them to come to the place where they see the danger of it and they see the truth. It's not a good place to be. 
do we know that it's that serious? Well, they're often a little bit of error, big deal. I'm not even sure about my own doctrine, that kind of thing. No, know about your own doctrine. Know if somebody else is not in right doctrine and love them enough to go to them. Love them enough to go to them. You have to be prayed up and know when it's time to go and when it's time to forbear going. Okay? So the Lord will show us that. And here's our key passage. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. It's in the Bible for us to learn from. Galatians chapter 2. I know you know the story, but we're going to read it and really talk about it this morning. To me, this is it's just amazing that this is in the Word of God. And the two people, of all the people that it involves. Look at Galatians chapter 2. We're going to read 11 through 14. But when Peter was come to Antioch, just listen to the story. When Peter was come to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, that's the church in Jerusalem, he did eat with the Gentiles. Peter ate with the Gentiles in Antioch. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also, we know about Paul's wonderful friend and co-laborer, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, also was carried away with their dissimulation or hypocrisy. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And you just could sit there and say, wow. Do we know who these two people are? You understand what I'm saying? This is the Apostle Paul openly before the church at Antioch rebuking openly Peter. The Apostle Peter. It's an amazing thing. Everybody there, this is something I think it's important to understand. Everybody there was a Christian. James and those elders that came from the church of Jerusalem, they make this journey down to Antioch. James was a Christian. Early church, they were Jewish Christians. Paul was a Jewish Christian. Peter was a Jewish Christian. James was a Jewish Christian. Those at Antioch were not Jewish Christians. They were Christians. But in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. There's all one body in Christ. You had new believers. You had leaders in the church like James and Peter. Peter, James, and John are listed as these, these pillars in the church. They were that. And so was Paul. Okay, And so this is the picture. Everybody there is a believer. It's not a message to lost people. Everybody's there is a servant of God. Everybody's there, you know, the, these men that are involved, James and John and Peter, I mean, James and Peter and Paul, they are servants of the Lord. And there's a few things that, that I want us to know from this. Number one, it wasn't personal. You can put that and highlight it. It wasn't personal. You know what I mean by personal? It wasn't, well, you know, I never liked you. Paul says, Peter, you know, I never liked you that much anyway. Uh, you're really a lousy apostle. You're nothing. I'm opposed to your entire ministry. I'm opposed to you and everything you do. Is that what was taking place there at all? There's got to be some maturity, y'all. There was here. This is actually a wonderful story, believe it or not. Not that there's a problem in church. There are problems all the time. But how do you handle that? Okay? The wonderful story is not that there was a problem. The wonderful story was how these men handled it and received it. And God got the glory when it was all over. It wasn't personal. You know what it was? It was, it was verse 14. When I saw, Paul looked, when I saw that Peter and those with him, Barnabas and all the others, walked not uprightly, how? according to the truth of the Gospel. So this is not personal. Hey, you guys, you're not doing what the Bible says. In this particular instance, and how you're doing, you know, you hung out with the Gentile believers, 
But then when the Jewish believers, the bigwigs came, of which you are one, Peter, when the bigwig Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem, then you kind of got afraid. It says they, they got afraid. And they separated themselves and didn't want to be seen eating with the Gentile believers. That was wrong. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. It was wrong. It was hypocrisy. That's what the dissimulation means, okay? Hypocrisy. But the, the way that it was gauged or judged, the standard was not, I never did like Peter in the first place. I got a great opportunity to blast him publicly. It was not personal. Nothing to do with how much he, you know, respected him or anything like that. When I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, highlight that. What's the standard for judging? Is a brother wayward? Christian brother, he's, he's wayward. What's the standard for me determining whether he's wayward or not? In his practice? Or in his doctrine or beliefs or preaching? It is the Word of God. The truth. They walked not uprightly. In this case, it was their behavior. It was nothing that he said or preached a false doctrine. Peter wasn't preaching a false doctrine in Antioch. He was being hypocritical in the way he lived. He didn't walk uprightly according to the truth of the Gospel. So it was his behavior or lack thereof. His Christian behavior. He walked not uprightly. It says he was to be blamed. That's what Paul's saying. Peter was to be blamed. Boy, that sure is mean of Paul, isn't it? It says he was to be blamed. I'm being sarcastic. Blamed means to find fault against. He found a fault against him. Didn't hate the man. He found a fault in his behavior. He wasn't walking uprightly according to the truth of the Gospel in that thing, in that circumstance. And it means, uprightly means to go directly forward. Paul wasn't, I mean, Peter wasn't walking directly forward in his Christianity. He was hiding. He was afraid of what the other Jewish believers would think. They might not have thought anything. I don't know. But the, but the point is, he was afraid of what they would think. And so, he didn't walk straight forward uprightly um, according to the truth of the Gospel. It has to do not with a personal thing, but with the Word of God. It has to do with Peter's behavior in this moment that it was, it was a, a, a hypocrisy. It was not a condemnation of Peter. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't a condemnation of the whole man, Peter. And everything he's ever stood for and believed. He's saying, in this thing, Peter, you're to be blamed. And this right here, you're wrong. And you're wrong according to the Word of God. You understand that? That is very important that we, we get that. P Peter, you're not walking uprightly in this thing where you've dissimulated and, and separated yourself from their believers. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. I know you have a Jewish heritage. I know that you grew up this way. I know this is all new and different. But you were wrong. This is wrong. This is not of the Lord. The Lord doesn't want that there to be that division. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. In Christ. Okay? And so, He wasn't walking uprightly according to the Word of God. The standard to marking the error is the Word of God. The standard we use to rebuke the error is the Word of God. So for me to first understand, hey, that's not right. What well, that preacher just preached didn't write. Well, that preacher saying that and uh, preaching that on Sunday and then living that way on Friday nights, that's not right. That's not right. I know it from the Word of God. And if God sends me to talk to Him, it's going to be with the Word of God as well. The judgment and the rebuke and the correction, with all long-suffering and doctrine, would reprove, rebuke, exhort, correct, instruct, with all long suffering and doctrine. And so also, y'all, in this instance, was this a private rebuking or a public? It's public. Okay? Every rebuke is not public. What determines if it's going to be private or public is the circumstance itself. God would have to show. You have to be Holy Spirit led. But I would say the word of God and the circumstance itself. Here's the deal. If Paul, Paul says, I, I, was, I said unto Peter before them all, 
Another phrase, I withstood him to his face. Withstood him means to stand against or to oppose. Okay? He did it publicly. Why did Paul do it publicly? He did it publicly because the, the sin was public. It was within the house of God. And evidently, already, it had affected the believers in an adverse way. Right? They were already being swept away. Barnabas had already been caught up in the same hypocrisy. When he saw Peter do it, and he said, wow, Peter's doing it. I'm going to do it too. Barnabas was a Jewish Christian. He separates himself. And it says that others, the whole place was starting. It was like a ripple effect. Real quickly, moving through. Peter did it. They're all watching Peter. He's a leader in the church and in the, in the body of Christ in the ripple effect. It's affecting a congregation. It's affecting the church. It might have spread from that church to other churches. It can do it very quickly. The, the sin happened publicly. And in this case, it was more like a, a, a practice. How do we practice Christianity within the church? Not, hypocr- not with hypocrisy. And so Peter would stood him to the face before them all. Is the Bible says. Because that's why I say sometimes it may be you pull a brother to, to the side and say, no, nobody needs to know about this. You understand what I'm saying? I love you. I'm coming to you. I see you're reading this book. That's really not on. This is not a good book. I know all about it. Or I see you doing such and such something in their practice, in their immorality or whatever. And you go to them. The world doesn't need to know about it. You don't need to stand up in this pulpit and, and blab it out. But this was not that way, was it? This was something done very publicly. Jewish believers, Gentile believers, hey, there's a problem. Peter's, Peter's behavior is affecting other people. And they're going to be swept away in it. And we're being swept away. And so it had to be done spiritually. The Lord gave us this account for a reason. Would you agree? He gave us this account to learn from a true brother. There's several things we can learn from this. A true brother in Christ, which both were Peter and Paul, can be wrong. In this instance, it was Peter. Truly saved, truly Spirit-filled, truly called of God. All of that. He wasn't a fake believer. He wasn't a pretend believer. He wasn't a tear among the wheat. He was really weak. And a true believer in Christ can be wrong at times, in their behavior, in their practice, in their preaching, in their beliefs, in their doctrine, they can be spiritually wrong at some time and still be a brother in Christ. A true believer can also have a very stern confrontation and still both be believers and that not be the end of their relationship and their friendship. There's a place in the Bible and in Christ. The only one perfect is Jesus. Everybody else falls under that. I'm talking about just Christians now. Not the world out there. Christians. And within the body of Christ, you got somebody today, they're wrong on this. Tomorrow it might be me that's wrong on something. Pray it's not. We don't have to be wrong. I'm simply saying that in the body of Christ, sometimes you can be wrong and still be a believer. What else can we learn from this? A true brother in Christ or brothers in Christ can humble themselves before the Lord and receive correction. Every one of us should. Not only can we, we should. We're to have a teachable spirit. We're to have a humble spirit. This sermon is not this about, about this example today. It would have been just as proper to use. But Nathan going to David about his adultery and murder with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah that he had killed. And Nathan says, you're the man who's done this. And what does David say? I'm going to have your head for this. Guards, come take him away. Chop his head off. David says, I've sinned. Wow. How simple was that? I have sinned. Three words. It's over. God, before he can finish saying it, Nathan the prophet says, it's, he doesn't say it's okay. He says, you're not going to die. God's put away your sin. You're forgiven. Wow. How long did that take? But we've seen others where just because they don't humble themselves and then it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. There's no end to it. God doesn't end it. There's no end to it. No end to it. But it could be. It could have ended. You know what, y'all? This right here with Peter and Paul and uh, 
in Antioch was not the end of their relationship. Not even close. God can fix it. It's beautiful when both submit and the Lord lets Him do it. One's used by God. One receives the rebuke. Next time it might be you rebuking and me receiving. But, but Peter received Paul's rebuke. Peter went on to continue to serve the Lord mightily. Peter was a martyr for the Lord. Crucified upside down, the historians say, because he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified uprightly like his Lord. So this obviously wasn't the end of his ministry, his usefulness to God, his effectiveness for God, nor his relationship with Paul. Because when you read in first, I forget which epistle, first or second Peter, we'll get to it in our study, uh, that he commends Paul on some of his doctrines, some of his beliefs. Our brother Paul. You know what I mean? So obviously... It was like a blip on the radar. It was just bing, and they kept going. Why? Why did it turn out so well? Because there was humility. Because it was God that was put first, and not Paul versus Peter. And let's get our factions and coalitions together. It wasn't Paul versus Peter. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked not uprightly according to the truth of the Gospel. God could have sent a donkey to speak to Him if He wanted to. He said, Paul. And it'd probably be easier sometimes to receive it from a donkey than a fellow believer. But he received it, and they went on. It did not, uh, Peter didn't take it personally. You read nothing about Peter taking it personally. You're trying to destroy me, Paul. You're out to get me. You're, you know, cutting you off. Thank God it wasn't that way. We might not even know the story because it, 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 it was such a. It just went on the way it was supposed to. They had the, the sin, the hypocrisy, the confrontation. It was received. Let's keep serving God. It's an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing. It shows what the Lord can do. Now I'll say this. Of all the believers that were at Antioch, picture the scene there. Okay? Whole scene. Of all the believers there, who loved Peter the most? But let's put it this way. I can't really judge that. Who displayed or acted in the love of Christ the most to Peter? I would say, without question, it was the Apostle Paul. But the world would say, and unfortunately a lot of the church world would say, oh, I can't believe he did that. Paul, you embarrassed my brother Peter publicly like that. I just can't believe you did that. But it was Paul that was stepping out on a limb, so to speak, for Jesus' sake. He would have done it a thousand times. And if Peter hadn't received it, he'd have still done it a thousand times. Because he says, do I yet seek to please men or please Christ? If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. It's in chapter 1 of Galatians. So who loved or displayed the love of Christ in truth the most to the man Peter? It was Paul. It was Paul. The critics standing by could have said, you embarrassed him publicly. Can't believe you did that and treated Peter like that. He didn't mean, Peter didn't mean anything by it. Uh, he, he's just misunderstood. You're just misunderstanding Peter. He didn't mean anything by it. Or I love Peter. I'm going to stay loyal to Peter. Uh, I know Peter. He, Peter's a true man of God. He's been used by the Lord so mightily. Do you know what? Stepping back from that, I would agree. Peter's a man of God. Peter's been used by God mightily. I'm not saying he's not. I'm saying he, in this instance, with his not eating with the Gentile Christians, when the Jewish Christians showed up, he was to be blamed because it was a sin and it was wrong. And and I'm going to withstand him to his face. He's not walking uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. And so we, we hear the church world. The church world saying, well, I'm, I'm staying loyal to Peter. I mean, think about that for a minute. First of all, Peter nor Paul is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Our first loyalty without any compare or close rival or close second is the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Okay? Period. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm faithful to Christ. And in being faithful to Christ, if these 
I'm just, I'm just kind of I'm giving a hypothetical. I don't know that anybody said that. I'm saying, what if a believer standing by, watching that whole rebuke, and said, I just can't believe Paul did that. It was so mean and so mean-spirited, and I can't believe he did that to Peter. Peter's a man of God. I'm staying loyal to Peter. But if they were really loyal to Christ, they would have agreed with Paul. You understand what I'm saying? If they were truly loyal to Jesus, they would have had the same heart, the same mind, the same Holy Ghost, saying, yeah, that's wrong. That was hypocritical. Here's, here's my remedy for that. They would have sided with Paul. They would have said, thank you, Paul, for standing up to do that. Thank you, Paul, for having the boldness to do it and love for God and love for Peter enough and love for us as the, the church in Antioch loving us enough to stand up and do that. Don't you agree? If they had really loved Peter like they said they did, if they were really loved Christ and were loyal to Him, uh, because y'all, as I said, it had already adversely, already in a short time, had adversely affected the church at Antioch. And it was carrying on. This is growing. Paul, Paul said this ain't stopping. It's going to have to be stopped. And he was stood to, the, to his face. And so, the true love, y'all, it, it was, was the one who risked... What if the whole place had turned on Paul? Stoned him? Kicked him out? Stripped him of his credentials or whatever? They couldn't really because God's the one that called him. But you understand my point. Giving him a bad name around the globe. This man's no servant of Christ. He rebuked Peter to the face. We stand against him. He's risking that. He's still going to obey the Lord, but we understand that that's a genuine risk. It's real to step out. But he would have done it a thousand times because his loyalty is to Jesus Christ. And they would, those other believers would have been saying, thank you, Lord, for your, Paul, for your, uh, your maturity in the Lord. Thank you for your obedience to Christ. Thank you for your love, the love of the Lord. Can I say this? And we're bringing this to a close. It's, it's bigger than me. The whole thing we're looking at. I'm a Christian. That's my Christian brother or sister over there. They've erred from the truth. In some capacity. It's bigger than me. And I need to wake up to that. It's bigger than me. And we need to grow up. The church must consist of mature believers who can hear from God, be led by His Spirit, and go confront the wayward brother for Jesus' sake. I don't like confrontation. I don't care. Jesus doesn't care. I don't like to confront. I'd rather do anything than confront. Well, that's why the church world is in the state it's in today. Because we'd rather do anything than confront. I'm not saying it's our joy. I'm saying it's our responsibility. It's part of our calling as Christians. I don't, I don't, there's a lot of things that we do in Christ that may not be the most fun. But do we see it serious enough? Is it, is it worth it enough to risk it to bring the brother back? Do we really love him as much as we say that we do? We have to grow up, y'all. I need to grow up. It's a lot bigger than me. It's a lot bigger than, oh, how will I look? How will, how will others in the church perceive me if, if I go tell the truth to this erring brother? Because they don't even think he's in any kind of error. I'm afraid I'll lose a friend. You might. I'm afraid I'll appear judgmental and unloving to other believers. I don't want to offend anyone. I would just say, Lord, please help us. Because if I get my eyes off all that, that's me. That's me looking at me. How am I going to be affected by this? My reputation, my friendship, my personality, uh, you know, whatever. My my test, my person, I mean, my uh, relationships. I need to get my eyes off of that and look to the Lord. And that's what Peter, Paul was doing. That's what Nathan was doing when he went to David. And that's what God calls us to do. It's not your or my ministry to be a rebuker, lifelong rebuker. There are times in our lives God would have us to do that. There are people in our lives He would have us to go to in certain circumstances and situations. Okay? And we can't shy away from that for fear of ourselves because it, it concerns the soul of that wayward brother. It's bigger than me. It's somebody that Jesus died for. Way bigger than me. Way, way bigger than me and my friendship. Maybe, maybe they won't like me anymore after I talk to them. 
but am I concerned for their soul enough to tell them the truth? And it concerns the body of Christ which He purchased with His own blood and how it can be harmed. Because it can be harmed. The church in Antioch was being harmed and it was stopped. Okay? How it could further be harmed by our wayward brother's doctrine or preaching or or actions or words. And and it says in in that verse 13, I'm back in, in 4th, Wait, where are we reading? It's 2.13. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. That the body was being, they're all Christians, they were all being adversely affected. It wasn't taking long. It doesn't take long for an error or a false doctrine or something like that to sweep, or a false action to sweep through a hypocritical action. And so a true friend, friend in Christ, that's what we want to be. Amen? True friend in Christ will risk it. I'm putting risk in quotes because it's really no risk to serve God. But you understand there there could be uh, a turnout at the, at the end that we didn't want. It might not be the way we wanted it to turn out. Because that still that guy still has a free will over there. And there's other people watching on the outside, Christians watching. They might not like any of it, especially me for going to them. So there's a risk in that sense. There's no risk in serving God. But true friend in Christ will risk it all to speak the truth in love to her brother or sister who's gone, away, gone astray. They've gone into deception. They've gone astray in, astray in their practice. And y'all, I'm, I, I feel like I'm just going to close right here. There's a, there's a Scripture that says in Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, open rebuke is better than secret love. Solomon says, open rebuke is better. Isn't that what Peter gave? I mean, Paul gave to Peter? Isn't that what he gave before them all? Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. God's not into any of that deceit, any of that hypocrisy, any of that play acting. Anybody hugging and telling we love him so much, but we won't tell him the truth. The Lord believes in speaking the truth in love if it hurts. Because in the end, it's going to heal. It hurts, but it's going to heal. I'm going to read it one more time. We're closing. I want us to just pray. I just We all know what I'm talking about. We all know we can relate to what I'm saying. But let's even expand it bigger than just our past or our current circumstances. Just in general, uh, to... To be in that mature believer, do we love our brother that's wayward enough to go to them and tell them the truth? You better be prayed up. You better know it's time. It may not be time for another two months. It may be time before the sun goes down tonight. You need to hear from God and find out I can't tell you that. And you can't tell me that. All I can say is that the real love is going to be the one that steps out there for Jesus' sake. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than my reputation. It's bigger than my, how many friends I have or don't have. It's bigger than all that. This is for Jesus' sake. And open rebuke is better than secret love. The Lord says it's better. Amen? So Father, we just come before You in Jesus' name. These altars are open.